the Culture Guy podcast. The first episode of 2019. And a transcontinental episode. Today we'll talk to Darren Manabney. Welcome back. This is Christian, the Culture Guy, and this is the Culture Guy podcast. This is the first episode of the new year of 2019. Glad you are listening. Glad you are faithful to the program. And we are faithful. I am faithful to the program as well. Been lapsing it a bit. The Christmas time got me out a little bit. So here's a new episode. And I was happy to talk to a gentleman from, well, you'll learn where he's from, but he's got Irish-Canadian background, but he doesn't work there. He works in an Asian country. And hey, why explain everything here if I can have Darren and myself explain everything that you need to know? Let's go. Welcome, Darren Manabney. It is early in the morning where you are, while it is fairly late in the evening where I am. Darren, where are we connecting? I'm in Atlanta. Where are you? Thanks, Christian. I am in Tokyo, where it is 8 o'clock in the morning, and uh, thank you for having me on the program. It's, I've listened before to the podcast, really enjoyed it, so great to be on the, the show now um, myself. And it's a pleasure having you, and the, the main reason why we connected is I read an article you um, wrote for Forbes magazine, which was published recently, which triggered my interest. If anyone on the program is not familiar with that article, we will I will post it in the show notes of this episode. Three things you stop doing when working across cultures. What are those three things, Darren? Well, it's uh, it's really goes down to assumptions. I think is what it boils down to. The first one is um, kind of drop your common sense when working across cultures, because I, I used this article, a quote from Voltaire: "Common sense is not so common." What is common sense for me and my culture is not common sense for you. And so we all have these kind of, you know, the accumulation of all our assumptions is kind of what we call common sense. So it's a matter of dropping that and uh, not j judging people's behavior by your own cultural standards. And I think that by note in the article is we are really ourselves unaware of how deeply that influences us, our own assumptions about what is the right way to do things, what is the right way to agree, disagree with people. So kind of a little bit of self-reflection, identifying that. That's the first thing to drop. The second one is the good old golden rule, um, treat other people um, as you would like to be treated for a similar reason. Um, other cultures, other people do not necessarily want to be treated the same way. So drop the golden rule. And I said, replace that with the, the platinum rule, which is treat other people how they would like to be treated, which gets into the, the, this whole area of how do we understand other cultures and requires that understanding of other cultures, but using your own culture and your own assumptions as the benchmark for that and then noticing any differences. That leads to the third point, which is don't focus too much on cultural differences. Um, we tend to do that, I think, in cross-cultural study or training, focusing on the landmines of things that 
are different between cultures and go wrong. But to really build a good relationship, we also have to focus and not forget about the similarities. That um, there may be similarities at a cultural level, but definitely we can always find similarities with people at um, the individual level as well. So getting that kind of common human similarity context, building on that, will lead to much, uh, much better, much stronger, more effective cross-cultural uh, business relationships. So those are three things. Drop Drop your common sense, drop the golden rule, and drop any um, emphasis, overemphasis, I should say, on cultural differences. Those things I've, I found have helped me working here now in uh, living in Tokyo now for eight years going on now. That is lovely, and that's very well explained and paraphrased. So if you dropped your pen while you were trying to take notes listening to it, you can rewind the tape on this podcast, or you can simply click on the link that will lead you to the Forbes article where you will read it in a little bit more detail. Darren, I fully agree with those three things that um, would be smart to drop. Um, the the challenge is, I think, especially with people who cross cultures in cultures that may be familiar or may be similar, that we run the risk of assuming commonality. So this um, right. common, common sense argument that you're making. Now, we just heard you say that you live in Tokyo. Um, we haven't shared with the audience where you're originally from. You're a Canadian who grew up most of his time in Toronto and you have family with a Northern Ireland background. So you're, um, well, let's say Anglo-Saxon culturally um, predisposed. Yeah, yeah. So would it be fair to say that you didn't assume much commonality when moving to Tokyo? So was there any common sense you expected in the first place when you went to Tokyo? Yeah, this it would be very safe to assume that, to say that as well. Um, uh, I think, um, you know, it's it's one thing to read, and, just, and I studied a little Japanese before I moved here, and uh, had some very few, maybe one or two business meetings before I actually moved here. Um, but still, that doesn't prepare you totally. And um, so I, I, I mentioned, I note in the article, this idea about um, in a business meeting, one of my first business meetings at my, at my current job, I work at uh, Rico Company Limited headquarters here um, in Tokyo in, in the global HR department. Um, one of the first business meetings I had um, it was in English, but um, someone asked a question and, uh, well, not of me, kind of of the room, and then suddenly it went silent. Everybody was silent. And the silence went on for five seconds. And then it went on for 10 seconds and then it went on. And, you know, as again, Anglo-Saxon or, you know, especially English speakers, maybe um, we don't like that much silence. Right. And uh, so 15 seconds silence, no one said anything. I was thinking, oh, something's gone wrong. There's something terrible. Maybe someone has a set or nobody can answer the question. So I piped up, just blurted out some kind of nonsense to fill the space. And a few people looked a little shocked at me and mm. the conversation went on kind of not really talking about what I had said, nobody answered the question. And so I was told later, and I learned later, that you know, in Japanese culture and business culture, that silence um, is not an uncomfortable thing. It's part of the conversation. It's part of, the, it's again, a high, very high context culture. So silence is not just a time for reflection. It can be to make a particular point. It can be to send a message. Whereas for me, my assumption, this is an assumption, silence is an uncomfortable thing. It's something that needs to be filled, um, which I think is a very common for English speakers. So that was an early um, error I learned about and a way to um, understand the, the importance of culture, of silence. In, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's not just for, for English speakers. It's, I think, uh, much of the Western world. I'm, I'm not a native English speaker, and, and silence is similarly 
uncomfortable, at least in business meetings, also in social interactions. Right, yeah. Yeah. In, in in my native culture and we actually did an exercise late uh, lately in our we have a group coaching program a leadership coaching program with um participants from across the world and one of the gentlemen in the group hails from australia um, however has chinese cultural roots in his family and is now working and living in south korea so we did an exercise in the group which consists mainly of, of westerners and we, I stopped mid-sentence and let that silence linger on for those five or, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't stop it. I should have timed it and let it, let it linger and observed everyone in the room, how they responded to it. And, and you, could, you could see them, I could see them squirm in their seats. They were oh, yeah. palpably uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and, and practicing that and, and making, making ourselves aware of, of some of those, what we think, common behavioral preferences aren't as common as we may believe or initially think. Great, great exercise. I gotta remember that one, yeah. How did you, I mean, you've been, you told me earlier, you've been living and working in Tokyo now for what, six six years on, on, on something? Yeah, living here for eight years. Um, I'm working for, uh, for Rico for six years. I, I came here to get my MBA uh, eight years ago and uh, stayed um, after finishing the MBA and uh, working for Rico for six years um, and teaching at, uh, at a business school here for almost five years now as well. So um, it's been, yeah, I really love living in Tokyo. Uh, best food in the world for sure. <laughs> and that's an important <laughs> thing. But, um, you know, it's, um, th th there have been the challenges, but uh, on balance, it's, it's a, a very comfortable, a very enjoyable place to live. Well, how long did it take you to, for you personally, to build commonality? So you said earlier, one of the things you dropped is you dropped the emphasis on the differences, which um, I wholeheartedly agree. However, I hope you would agree if, if, I, if I said that, yes, it would be helpful to know the differences in order to identify which areas of life and work you want to invest time and energy into in order to build commonality. Yeah. Um, uh, how hard was it or how easy was it for you to establish commonality in the place that was arguably rather foreign to the Canadian? Yeah, one thing that um, I, learned, I learned really on, the commonality can always be, especially in the business situation at least, around the, the goal of the project, the goal of the work. That's a very easy one to build commonality on in, in, a, in a business situation right? or even a tight situation. What's our task? But other than that, um, in a business and kind of a social situation, um, I think it often comes down to showing a curiosity about the host culture really goes a long way. And it's something I, I legitimately am curious about. I want to know more about this very fasting culture that I'm living in. It is quite different and what that can teach me. And again, have my own assumptions challenged. So things like um, being curious about the, the cuisine, the, the history, um, asking people for their advice on um, certain cultural behaviors. We're going into a meeting, how should I behave? How, what should I say? Where should I sit? <laughs> you know, in Japanese um, business meetings, where you sit, there's a, there's a definite hierarchy there in terms of where people sit. Showing curiosity and building on relationships about everyday things like food, like culture, uh, travel, for example, those things I found worked, uh, worked quite well. Um, and then adding in the task focus in a business environment, that really, Helped me build bridges, but again, it took a few months at least to kind of get to that point, also as well. Right. 
which reminds me of a previous guest on, on this program, um, Pellegrino Riccardi, who is British, Italian, Norwegian. Um, so for those of you who didn't listen to the episode, go back to the archives, Pellegrino Riccardi. Uh, he said something that stuck with me. He said, um, if, if, you, if, it, if your question is coming from a place of genuine curiosity, then there is no taboo question. You can ask anyone anything if you can show and display that your question is rooted in a, a deep and genuine curiosity about the task great. That's great. topic you're asking. So would, would that confirm your experience in Japan that you, you've never been perceived as um, strange or a stranger because you, you were able to show that the genuine interest in your host culture? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely, I, I mean, I'm sure I have been perceived as strange at times, but I think that really, though, um, does, I wholeheartedly agree with that comment. That is a great way of putting it, um, that the, the legitimate, that, um, how, what was the phrase used, that deep and kind of personal real curiosity to show that I think really does go a long way. And if it comes from a place of um, genuine curiosity, as I'm hoping it does, then definitely that's, um, I think every culture is proud of talking about their own um, cultural, I suppose, uh, um, uh, behaviors and what what differentiates them and how that's you know the curiosity also maybe the curiosity because I'm asking that because I want to help um, be more effective I want to mm-hmm. fit in a bit better I suppose so showing that curiosity for that purpose definitely goes a long way in in Japanese culture which is a lot about fitting in and you know not standing out so much being part of the group the, this kind of um, there is a focus on the collectivism um, right. very strongly in Japanese culture so that curiosity um, definitely what your previous guest had said and in in Japan when it's it's to be it's in the context of I want to know this because I want to fit in better that really does go a long way mm. which reminds me of um, of the article that we published on our blog not too long ago in the beginning of 2019 about um, nine behaviors you really want to reconsider um, continuing if you want to be successful in a global context and in order to be that curious um, you have to drop your arrogance you have to drop your know-it-all attitude and and thinking Mm -hmm. no because you've traveled there before you've read the book on it and studied it and so the the assuming of or the assumption of being somewhat competent, maybe maybe in the way of learning something new, right? Yeah, humility goes a long way for sure. Right, right. Now, Darren, you told me earlier that despite what people might think, uh, Caucasian Westerner working in Japan must be an expatriate. You told me earlier, no, I was a local hire. I was in Tokyo already when the company offered me a job. Tell, tell our audience how, how that works. That's not a usual career path, is it? Yeah, so I had I, can, I had come here in 2000 to Japan, to Tokyo, in 2011 to, uh, to get my MBA. And uh, towards the end of the studies, I uh, got, was put in touch. Well, Rico had, um, and the MBA program had some corporate training relationship. And um, I was put in touch with them, and they were curious to learn a bit more about me and see some of what I was doing in terms of training. And um, they hired me as a local hire because, um, again, surprisingly, um, 
I had no HR background before, or little, I suppose, well, but they were, they were hiring on the basis, they hired me on the basis of what they saw was a kind of a, a cultural fit on this topic of culture. And that was things like um, sh having a curiosity, um, showing a willingness to learn. I mean, coming to Japan to get an MBA definitely showed to them a sign that I was willing to um, be flexible, to be agile, to to learn, to be willing to accept a different a different cultural environment as well. So that and um, a few other things um, is what led to being hired to work in the, the HR department uh, at Repco. They hired me to uh, put me in charge of the first global employee engagement survey we ever did um, company-wide. Um, again, not so much based on hard skills. Of course, there are some, but based more on kind of on um, soft skills. And what they said was the sense of curiosity and, and the cultural fit and willingness to learn and uh, maybe humility was part of that as well getting back to mm -hmm. the previous mm -hmm. so tell our audience what does that mean global employee engagement what um how, how does a japanese organization approach that and and what does your work consist of to make sure that all the globally dispersed teams of rico are in fact engaged what, can you give us an example Sure. Yeah. So I mean, we so working at headquarters, we have um, we have some responsibility for global um, HR. Not so much at the operational end, but high level things like the corporate philosophy, like um, I guess well, some top talent management. But in particular, um, employee engagement surveys have been done locally before, regionally before when I joined, and um, this is the first time we do globally. So what are the commonalities we find in our global workforce? So. We are a Japanese company. We are based in Tokyo. We have we are having an 80-year history, but 67% of our workforce is outside Japan. Uh, 95,000 employees, approximately total. And most of those are outside oh, Japan. Wow. So, yeah, so in over 65 countries. So uh, we have to. We are a very global company. And so um, what what defines us culturally as as a corporate culture is one curiosity about that. And so by measuring things like um, uh, are, you know, employee engagement scores, but also things like awareness of corporate culture, sense of belonging to a global company, um, feelings of, you know, getting recognition for the work people are doing. We were able to find our com some of our commonalities, but also some regional differences between our major agencies being you know, Japan, Asia Pacific, um, EMEA, Americas. But what was surprising was you, there is a signal in there of some things that define of a, corpor a corporate culture. And so from that, we developed a few things like a global employee recognition program um, that I've been working on for several years now. Um, I, we also found that some employees did not really feel they worked for a global company as much. So what I've been doing the last year and a half is developing uh, more of a global team building initiative to uh, part of that being culture as well, but to help our employees globally collaborate, communicate more effectively um, as part of a global, global virtual project teams. And a big part of that, of course, being um, cultural awareness. So helping our workforce outside Japan have some understanding of Japanese corporate culture and business culture and RICO culture. Mm -hmm. And from the other hand, helping the um, Japanese employees here um, understand what it means to, do, to actually do work for a global company and, um, and having everyone become more effective at cross-cultural communication, cross-cultural team building, trust building, all kind of the stuff that you know, you know very much about it yourself as well. So um, global employee engagement, basically doing things to understand our workforce's motivations and then what kind of initiatives can we create to get them to become more intrinsically motivated, more engaged, and therefore more effective and happier employees as well for the company. Right. You, you said a, a term that stuck with me. You said you're, you're developing a 
an employee recognition model. Yeah. I'm curious, Japan being a very group-oriented society, um, how, how do you um, design employee recognition programs that have to work in, in both individualistic cultures and collectivist cultures? Telling, I mean, given, given Rico's footprint in the, in the globe, I guess you have to adjust that, I guess, to the markets you're in, right? That, that's a great question. And we do find that um, in, in Japan and maybe also more collectivist cultures, like it's East Asian cultures, there is, there is more of a preference to recognize the group than to recognize the individual. And it also depends on again who's doing the recognizing, whether it's peers or whether it's um, uh, upper management doing the recognizing. There are cultural differences in that, of course. But the program, um, we anchored it in our corporate philosophy, the RICO way. So it's, it is groups or individuals who are showing um, a great emphasis on demonstrating our corporate values and bringing, creating value, creating a good business outcome for the company at the same time as well. Um, surprisingly, at the global level, we generally get uh, groups and teams across the world submitting and, and being the winners for this program. There are three elements, and one is an individual program for who is kind of an individual supporter, who is kind of like a, um, an unsung hero of the company who has been contributing individually for years. And um, we still get a, a good number of applications still from Japan if it's peer nomination. And I think that does make a difference, the fact it's nomination by, by your peers. And so... Mm -hmm. um, there's not so much of a difference there, I found. We, you know, it may be a little bit harder to understand sometimes, but there is a, um, an emphasis on group recognition, definitely, in some cultures, but we haven't really found that to be a challenge at the recognition program because we are basing it on the one of our commonalities, which is our corporate philosophy, um, the RICO way, the seven values, the corporate values that we have. That's what defines everyone. And if we put it in that context, then... Mm -hmm. um, we find people being very um, eager to nominate their peers um, on that basis. Excellent. I, I would have not thought that way. So that's great learning for me. I hope for you that are listening as well. Um, thanks for sharing that there. And I, um, that, that probably would be a whole course in, in an ABM program that you are teaching, right? It could be. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thanks for the good noted future future course global recognition. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, checks in the mail, right? Now, um, the, um, the 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 last question before I let you go is: Let's assume some of our um, members in the audience, those of you who are listening to the Culture Guide podcast, you are about to go on a business trip to Japan, or maybe you are already working in a, a corporate context that involves Japan somewhere or the other. What are some of the lessons you learned by making your own mistakes in Japan? What what is what will be a key nugget to keep in mind that may not be on, on everybody's uh, forefront and top of mind when they think of uh, Japanese culture? What are some of the things that were unique that you experienced, Darren? Yeah, it's um, one uh, I mentioned. Of course, this is a big part of what I mentioned earlier. That part about silence is the importance of. Um, Nonverbal communication um, in in Japanese com uh, corporate culture or a culture more widely. This idea of they have this phrase called here I'll speak a little bit of Japanese for you. They have this phrase called kuki uh, omeru, which kind of means to read the air, um, mm -hmm. and it's a kind of something that you grow up with as part of this high context culture in Japan. You have to be able to um, 
not just listen to what your counterparts are saying, listen to what's not being unsaid. And if it is very distinct, something is distinctively not being talked about, that is a thinking of a nonverbal message. So reading body language is important. Um, but at the other hand, on the other end, related point, not being too concerned if your counterpart seems overtly formal or perhaps a little unemotional or cold, because that is often how um, business is done in Japan between individuals. Um, it's kind of, I think it's reasonably well known, but this idea that um, in Japan, um, in business meetings, you have discussions, you have introductions, it may be very formal, but it may not be where the actual heart-to-heart -heart discussions take place. That may be at drinks afterwards, that may be over dinner, it may be over lunch. So um, uh, formality is there, um, but being able to understand um, overt formality is not a, it's not a bad thing. Um, a lot, not showing emotion is not necessarily a sign of a negotiation discussion going poorly, just being prepared to that, but getting to know your counterpart as an individual. Relationship building is really vitally important in Japanese corporate cultures. So it may take a few meetings to, with someone to get to um, a point where you can maybe even formally begin the negotiations. That's why it's important to socialize with your counterparts, um, find those commonalities about food, drinks, sports, what hobbies, whatever it is, build those bridges is really, really important, um, right. to, especially when starting to build um, do business in Japan. So especially for, for the Anglo-Saxons in the audience or the, the US Americans who are prone to seeking the quick turnaround or are motivated yeah. by, by short-term objectives, that type of um, attitude that will win you business in the North American or Western European context will fall flat in countries like Japan and other regions of, of uh, East Asia because without a solid relationship, there is no business, right? Exactly, yeah. And on the other hand, knowing your counterpart, have they, are they someone who has been working abroad, working overseas? They may also try to build a bridge a bit your way as well. But you can probably suss that out from discussions um, fairly quickly as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely, regardless of the level of globalization of your counterpart, relationship building is really important um, here as well. That's something I, I learned quite quickly. So being part of an in-group um, is is part of that as well. Once once you're in the group, it's I think they call Japan Japan a, um, a coconut culture, where the the hard shell on the outside hard to break. Yes. In, but once you're once you're in, you're you're in. You're part of the group, and then you're you're one of them, and um, then you are protected, and you are seen as being trusted, regardless of what country or cultural background that you're from as well. Yeah, and thank you for bringing it up. That 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 metaphor. Is is I'm getting so much mileage out of that the the coconut. I um, love the coconut it, beach it, metaphor. Yeah, it, it's it's very helpful in many in many contexts. Yeah, Darren, this was very insightful. Thank you for sharing time with me and with with oh, our listeners. So much. Yeah. What's the best way for um, people to get a hold of you if they want to reach out and learn more, maybe how how to do business or how to get global employee engagement the rico way or just to well connect network with you um linkedin would that be a good yeah. way to start linkedin is probably the best way to do it, i think as well i'm a huge fan of linkedin for over 10 years gotten great um business connections and uh, networks and partnerships out of it so definitely linkedin is the way to go all right so we'll post a link to your linkedin profile we'll also as i said post the link to the forbes article and let yourself be guided by that. You'll you'll find Mr. Manabney and, and you'll be able to to connect and reach out. Darren, thank you Excellent. very much. Um, you so much now let, let, let's let's try a, a Japanese goodbye. What would that be? Sayonara? 
Yeah. The, the good old word would be sayonara. Yeah, it's it's a you know, um, if it's a, in a business situation, if you are leaving, if I was going to leave a business, um, the office early, I would say osaki ni shitsuleshimas, which is apologizing for leaving before everybody else. I like that. Oh. <laughs> and since cool. you're not the one leaving before everybody else, what would you say instead? Um, yeah, you might say, um, oh geez, you wouldn't say sayonara so much. I would just say. Um, it's more like good evening, right? Sayonara. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 I think you just, yeah, just, yeah, 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 we'll go for Sayonara for now. Then, yeah. All right, then. Well, uh, that, that, that is, that is a, a, a language that I will have to, that I choose to in, get involved with much more in the future, and I accept my current limitations. So kudos to you for... <laughs> thank you. For, I am no expert, but thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Dan, it was lovely. Thank you very much. Um, much success to you at your work with your work at Rico, and I hope to be able to connect with you in the future again. Okay, likewise. Thank you so much. Dermanabney. Check out the show notes on the website, theculturemastery.com forward slash podcast. There we'll find all the relevant information about Darren and his work. You'll find the link to his Forbes article, to his LinkedIn profile. And check us out on Facebook, The Culture Guy or The Culture Mastery. We have two pages, one for the company, one for the podcast. The same is true for Twitter. There's a Culture Guy Twitter handle and there's The Culture Mastery. So check them out both. Give us a follow, retweet, comment, friend us. You know what to do on social media. to be a guest in 2019 send me a note email me uh, easiest way probably will be to email it to get started at theculturemastery.com so that's all one word get started at theculturemastery.com send me a line or two about what it is you do and how you've been crossing cultures successfully in, in your life and we'll talk we'll have you on this program doesn't have to be somebody in Japan. could be anywhere in the world. Whatever kind of cultures you've been crossing, I'm sure our audience would be just as interested. And while we're at it, go back to the website, theculturemastery.com forward slash blog. You'll find the article about the behaviors that you may want to reconsider if you want to be successful in your global work life. We'll just put a link in the show notes to this episode. It makes it easier for you to find. With this, I say see you next time. The Culture Guy is out. This was the January episode. Check back in soon. We'll have more interesting guests on this program. And stay cool. Trust your process. Talk to you soon. Thank you.